Yeah. We often hear holly meaning white person in a negative connotation, but is a perfectly good word. It means foreign introduced to foreign origin or foreign introduction. So in Hawaiian, anyone or anything that is not native to Hawaii is haole. I'm Leilani Poli Ahu, Ahui Ho. Haole. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Blue Hawaii Podcast. We are thrilled, 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 thrilled. Election season is really heating up, and we have a dear friend of the Blue Hawaii Podcast back with us, one of our season one originals, making her third appearance on the show. You know her, you love her, Colleen Hanabusa. How are US you doing? U.S. Representative. U.S. Representative. Colleen first, Hanabusa. First, first female state senate president in Hawaii's history. Proud uh, representative of the Waianae Coast. Uh, long, long career as a lawyer. Uh, excellent dedication to public service. Trailblazer. Um, terrific chef. Thrower of thrower of many uh, potluck for her D.C. interns. And friendly human. Friendly Colleen. Hum- yes. All of these things. Welcome back. How are you doing? I'm fine, but with that introduction, I think I'll put all on my head. Goodbye. Okay, <laughs> talk to you next time. And and who do we have next week, Ryan? I'm I'm fine, and it's uh it's great to be back on the show, and I'm so glad that you guys are still doing it. I think it's great. That makes one of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the so the thing here is, um, you know, all the listeners, especially folks in the Hawaii, you know, you know, they're they're familiar uh, with your background, with your story, your qualifications. So I think we can dive right into like the fun stuff, the meat and potatoes. So okay, first things first, you want to be the mayor of Honolulu. Why? Right. Why? Why in God's name would you want to do that? <laughs> well, you know me, Josh. It's 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 because I cannot uh, turn away from a good challenge. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> It, it is because when I um, thought about after the governor's race, whether yeah. it was uh, that was it, uh, and you know I would uh, sort of like sail away, uh, and and then I thought, you know, we both voted I've for you by the way. Am- I've had an amazing political career, and it's it's thanks to to everyone, all of you who who uh, supported me over the years. And I said that I, I'm I'm not really ready to just say. That's it. Mm. Uh, and it really is a, a, a situation of how do I thank everyone for what I have? And, you know, Josh, you, you know me. I, I, I'm, I'm the kind of person who will sit there and uh, study things to death. And I just, I just felt that there was a lot more that I could, that I could offer. And, and that's really the reason why. I just said, okay, if the people want me, I'm there. If they don't want me, we'll find out. <laughs> but I, you know, I, I'd like to think that um, they want me to use my talents that they help me develop, and that's what it is. Yeah, you're taking your talents to South Shore, then. Yeah. So, so most people know, you know, most people know uh, your legislative background. You know, going to D.C., getting in the weeds with with the bills. You know, getting, you know, doing the real wonky legislative stuff. But, you know, you also had that brief stint in between uh, sitting on uh, the Honolulu Authority for Rapid Transit Board, you know, one of the right. most controversial, one of the most... Uh, bit not, of a lightning rod. Yeah, bit of a, definitely a lightning right. rod. Uh, you know, uh, everybody's got at least some opinion on what's going on Divisive. there. Tell us about, for the, folks who, for the folks who are not familiar with the day-to-day workings of, like, what's going on in rail management, you know, all we hear are, all we hear are basically news reports about how bad everything is. Tell us about what you saw in the day-to-day of that management 
and what as mayor you would do differently and you would change and how it leads into your vision you know um you're right i was uh when i was between my two stints in congress uh i did sit on the the infamous heart board and the reason why is and the reason i feel very strongly about what was going on there is that i did not realize until uh, later when i got on it that w- that what we had done uh, as a community is that we had actually said that the um, you know that the that the that the people uh, the members of heart would have absolutely uh, no say and that's the way heart was established with basically the statement that, uh, and, and I quote it because I just could never believe it. Hmm. And, and it says that heart shall not in any way, I mean, the heart board shall not in any way uh, interfere with the administrative functions of heart. So what kind of oversight is that? Is that? that, I mean, is it just passive, totally passive oversight? Like, Looks good on a resume if you've done it, yeah. the board thing. It, well. it, it's very similar. Uh, by the way, we, you know, one of the things I did do was, I I got, I got a charter amendment to uh, change that, but you know it's very similar to what we see, for example, in the police commission. Mm. You know, in 2016, the same year that the heart uh, change in the, uh, the the charter took place, it was just like the what you see in the police commission, and that is that you could you could appoint, uh, you could um, basically. Uh, up or down, mm. as I say, or the whoever would be the police chief, but that was that was the extent of it. And people don't realize that, you know, because when we vote on a charter amendment, mm-hmm. we vote yes, there just there, there, there should be a charter, there should be a heart board or something like that. But no one, no one really looks into the minutia as to what was um, being voted on at that time. And we, what we said was, you know. Uh, Heart uh, members could not interfere in any way with the administrative functions of heart. Wow. That's the source of the problem. Well, so it seems like uh, it seems like that's kind of a common thread at, in Hawaii government is that uh, we like to give the appearance of oversight and no teeth in anything and zero teeth whatsoever. We like to do the we like to give the appearance of wanting to do the right thing. Oh, we should raise the minimum wage, uh, but it's aspirational and it's over like 30 yeah. years and we're only going to raise it to still below living wage. So like, uh, and I, I think people in Hawaii are disenfranchised with that. People yeah. or people are disillusioned, I should yeah. say. Uh, and both, both words probably work. But what, what can the voters, uh, what can they expect if uh, out of you, are, are you, you know, how are we going to change uh, how are you going to change Hawaii, or the the Honolulu city government culture from a business as usual, business as usual to where it looks good and then we don't do anything? I, I think that's where the, uh, the experience comes in, right? You know, I look at it and and I will tell you, the first thing that comes to my mind is, you know, people are going to be very angry if we just continue to do this. And this is something that we should do. In other words, just simply... Um, <sighs> say, oh, well, you know, we're just going to do what we've done and, and it'll be uh, uh, basically uh, the, the way it's been all along. I believe that the change, and this is something that I've given a lot of thought to, I believe, for example, maybe the time for heart is gone. Of course, it, it would require a charter mm-hmm. amendment, but maybe the, I believe the time has 
has come and gone. In other words, I think that it's time for for us to look at uh, to look at heart and say, you know, especially if we're at the stage now and you see it where they call it the uh, the P3, which of course means that we're at a point where we're looking to put everything into a private-public partnership, mm. which I may I may have my issues with, only because I don't believe structurally it. They've taught it all the way through. But having said that, but I think that you know what? It's time for us to say, okay, if you you want to be mayor of the city and county of Honolulu, then it's time for you to step up to the plate and do what's right. And I think what's to do what's right means that it's time for whoever wants to be mayor to take full responsibility for it. And that's what I want to do. And the buck stops with me. None, none of this, um, you know, uh, it's Hart's fault or mm. it's this entity's fault or it's that entity's, none of that. Take, take full responsibility. So one of the things I'm thinking of is since we're at the stage now where Hart um, sort of um, – has played its way through. Maybe it's time for a charter amendment where we say, you know, put it back completely in the city and let the mayor be responsible. So the mayor can't conveniently say, oh, it's Hart's fault. I had nothing to do with it. You know, like, uh, and, and it's just amazing how people seem to forget what has happened over the time. Well, this will be our last question about the, about the rail project. Otherwise this whole interview could talk about rail. Um, does rail need to be completed? And if so, uh, where does it need to go to? I believe rail rail needs to and can go as far as Ala Moana, uh, because that's the, uh, the quote, the agreement with the federal government. That's the minimum operable segment. And I think we need to, we need to keep our, uh, our word. And that's, that's what we agreed to do. And we need to do it. And I think we can. That's the other part of it. I wouldn't say it if I didn't believe that we can do it, but I believe we can do it. So you're going to, as mayor, you're pushing for rail to be built to Alamoana. Well, that's the minimum operable segment. That's what we agreed to um, when we signed the agreement. Uh, and uh, Josh, Josh probably remembers this best, is that it was really, uh, we signed that agreement two days after Senator Inouye passed. Mm-hmm. And that was the agreement we made with the uh, FTA. So time. so that's where it's going to if you're mayor. So if, so, and that's also too. That's where it's going to go. So, yes. And also too, so when somebody, when another candidate says, no, we have to, you know, cut our losses, stop at Middle Street, in your mind, do we open ourselves up to untold horrors of, you know, litigation, penalties, <laughs> et cetera? Yeah. You know, uh, and, and that's, that's the other thing. I think that because people are not aware uh, as to what it means, uh, that's what it means. And, and, you know, when I was the uh, chair of heart, we actually looked at whether or not and what, it, what would it look like if we ended at, at uh, Middle Street mm. or how far could we go if we couldn't go all the way. Because at the time, remember, uh, we had just gotten the GET increase through the uh, – to the county, uh, to the uh, to the city council, and what we needed to do at, is to make a determination as to, all right, it's not enough money. If it's not enough money, then what do we do? And and I believe that it, we didn't have enough money. And I don't know why when they went when the heart. This is before I got on it. When they went to the uh, 
the legislature, they said they only needed $910 million when that wasn't true. I think this project was underestimated from the get-go. Jumping to another uh, city agency branch of city government, you mentioned uh, a few a few answers ago, uh, you referenced the police commission. And you know, ever, since, right. ever since the killing of George Floyd, uh, municipalities all over the country, right. mayors all over the country, have had to reckon with systemic racism in their communities as well as um, calls you know to defund the police to reform to reform police uh, you know I was watching the prosecutors debate last week and a few candidates were like oh you know there's no systemic racism why there's no systemic racism why and Jackie Escher said yeah tell that to any Micronesian so obviously systemic racism exists uh, what do you what would you as mayor uh, what is your view to addressing it how do you how do you think it, it uh, affects the lives of the citizens of Honolulu and how do you view uh, your role and your management of the police officers and law enforcement uh, generally going forward you know it's it's an interesting um, point and one of the things it's, it's very similar to the inception of heart so what we the problem we have is that we can and this is going back in history we tend to have sort of a knee-jerk reaction to all of these different things. And by that, I mean, what we when we put, created the police commission, we wanted to take the, quote, the politics out of, um, out of the police. And we didn't want the police to be in any way viewed as, a, as an extended instrumentality of the, of the mayor. So that's why we did the police commission. But you know what, what we also failed to do at that time was to recognize that, in, that to do that effectively, we needed to have oversight over what was being done. And we missed on the oversight aspects of it. And I think you see that with what um, uh, Justice Levinson said. Mm. Justice Levinson, when he resigned, said he disagreed with the assessment that there was enough oversight, and he, feel, he felt that there wasn't sufficient oversight over the police commission. And and I think in when you look at it, I think he's absolutely correct that what we cannot have happen is is what we're seeing now, which is that the police commission maybe has some powers, but not enough to really determine how it is. And it's and I think what we need to really begin to recognize is that in order for for this job to be done correctly, mm-hmm. you need to have a situation where the, the uh, police commission is truly accountable. It's almost like the military, Josh, you know, yeah. when you think about it. What, what do we say about the military? The military, we have, a, we have all the secretaries of defense and all the secretaries of the branches of government civilian are technically civilians, yeah. right? And they, they have oversight over... The, the portion of the government that is the one that can bear arms to the extent that they bear arms. Mm-hmm. And so I think that we, what we need to do is we need to realize that, that, the, that the community, the public, needs to have a say and needs to be part of that decision-making. I can't agree with you more. Um, you know, Colleen, uh, you were on a competitor's, we're interviewing you now, but you were recently on a competitor's platform doing a certain job interview. We won't name the competitor. Um, uh-huh. But it was also it was also formerly owned and or managed by one of the other candidates. It's weird, but it's okay. We don't have to say anything more about that. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I'll, I'll tell you, 
today I was watching the Mufi Hanneman job interview and uh-huh. I was watching it with my wife and uh, we had just like last night we're talking about sexism and like how the world is changing in the ways that men will, are often disrespectful when they communicate with women. So I turned on the job interview today with Mufi Hanneman and the first time a civil beat reporter asked him a difficult question, he starts with a, Hey, okay, let's calm down there. Let's calm down. Yeah. He's like talking down to her. And then later she asks a question about homelessness and he like basically plays the, you How- weren't, you, Howley. you weren't here. You young female Howley. <laughs> and, uh, it was, it was pretty sexist. And I remember in the first interview we did with you, you were talking about when you went to court and a judge, uh, I, I, if I'm recalling the story correctly, a judge thought you were the, uh, the attorney's secretary. Is that right? That you were. Uh, no, I, I, yeah, I think with what I was telling you about was that you know I, I uh, practiced labor law. Yeah. And on the union side, so what uh, when I go in to meet all the the quote the the union heads, they would uh, look at me like uh, and and they tell me what kind of coffee they want, right? Wow. <laughs> because. That's the initial, uh, especially, especially in a union-related uh, situation, which is just male-dominated. But, but I will also tell you that once you, um, and and you know, yeah, it's a higher standard that I think we need to meet because we're because I'm a woman. But once you meet that, then they then they're very um, extremely supportive. And I've had the, uh, the ability to do and get the reputation that I have as a litigator and one who does a lot of uh, union work, one of the best lawyers in Hawaii in that area, uh, because of them. But yeah, it, it is unfortunate that, that they, they view women, a lot of people view women as something not equal to, you know, and quite candidly, I think it's a bias on on some uh, voters' part. It's cultural in a certain extent. Uh, but I watched that interview and thought Mufi uh, really talked down to her. But, you know, and I think someone asked him later on something that I remember of dealing with Mufi when I was in the Hawaii State Senate, and that's that, you know, he, he, he comes off um, – sort of he's he's a bully you know he can be a bully yeah and that's the and and he, and he i think he explained it that it's his size but it's more than his size it's the manner in which he he expresses things or he says things yeah and i remember um when i was interviewed and and, and tagged him as that I, I what i said was you cannot bully a community into taking and doing something the way you want it done by saying well, if you if you don't follow me, I'm gonna not give you impact fees, for example. Yeah. But yeah, I I was very uh, offended personally when I watched that interview, and and um, you know I I thought I really do believe he owes her an apology. Yeah. I, I, but I I think the worst part about it is he may not even realize what he did, Probably and not. that's that's inherently the real problem. Yeah. And that's the reason why it continues when you don't even realize what you did. Yeah, I was watching it, and you know, um, Mufi was mayor until twenty ten. Yeah, and 10. so I moved here in two thousand twelve. Right. So I'm not really familiar with Mufi Hanneman. Like, I don't know him. Mm-hmm. I wasn't ingrained into the po- politics of Hawaii like I am now. 
and I'd heard people say bad stuff about him, but I was watching, I was like, this guy's a real asshole. <laughs> I was like, that's the most sexist. Like if you were, if you, we were in a functioning society, like he would be disqualified from public office right there. Like it's obvious the disdain that he had for this, this female reporter. And I was also a little pissed off that no one in the room was like, Hey, calm the hell down movie. <laughs> But well, keeping right. it to keeping it to right. the issues, keeping it to the issues, we can also uh, ding former Mayor Hanneman uh, on. You know, he said, "Well, you know, I, I, yeah, we, yeah, heck yeah, we swept the homeless out of Almona Park, and it's great, and I accept no responsibility for any homelessness issues." So, you know, the last time we talked, Colleen, um, uh, Puuhonua Owai and I, you know, from you know from right. your hometown, exactly. was in the big news, and but you know, especially with COVID, especially with the pandemic, it's only getting worse. We're seeing, uh, you know. Even in the midst of even in the midst of such a crisis, when Mayor Caldwell is like teary-eyed on the news, pleading like, "Please stay indoors, please stay distant," you know they're still sweeping like 10, 11, 12 communities a day. So clearly, something's not working. What's you know, uh, we're never going to get to a functionally. There's never going to we're never going to get rid of homelessness. But what would you, as mayor, do differently? Because surely we've got to be doing something differently. Uh, you know, Josh, that's interesting because I think COVID gives us an interesting opportunity. And I don't know if you watched what I call the little pop tents at, at Kehi Lagoon, sure. where yeah. people were uh, there. I mean, they, they basically don't bring any of their stuff. And then, but, but it was the fear of COVID that uh, sort of, they sort of self-quarantined, right, into mm-hmm. these situations. I think that that's, that's sort of a way in, because what we can do then is we can actually begin to have the services uh, on, especially those who are mentally ill or have different kinds of uh, drug abuse or, or alcohol abuse. And, you know, the, um, the other thing that, that I'm watching is that, I don't know if you're aware, but there is a law called ACT that was passed in 2018 by um, the, uh, uh, the, the state. And I think in my interview, um, uh, Daryl Hoffman made a reference to it. But you know what he didn't uh, say or what we didn't get into is the fact that it's still a due process. And I know mm. you're lawyers, so, yeah. uh, you know, it's still a due process issue. And the city gave, uh, I think it was IHS, like $500,000 to process it to see exactly what you can do. Because there are different levels of homeless. And by levels, I mean people who are houseless, people who are truly homeless, people who will never go yeah. into any kind of shelter situation. Yeah. And the other the other fact that I think especially, uh, and I'm, I'm surprised that more lawyers aren't picking up on this, is the fact that, you know, in Idaho, where they had sit lie, very similar to our law, they went, it went to the Ninth Circuit. The Ninth Circuit said that sit lie uh, without appropriate shelter. In other words, if you're going to sweep them, under yeah. the sit lie bill, you have to have appropriate shelter. If you don't have appropriate shelter, then it's cruel and unusual punishment. Especially in Idaho, and, Jesus. And, right. Yeah. And and then the U.S. Supreme Court last December denied certiorari. So oh, that's wow. still the law in our circuit, in our Ninth Circuit, is, mm. is that you have this. So there's all these different kinds of things. So, you know, if you're going to sweep, you're going to do all these things, and you're going to do enforce sit light, and then you know what? We better have shelter. So we yeah. have to have shelter. Build more shelters, and build we more also homes. Have to, yeah, we also have to recognize that if ACT is going to work, that, that law in 2018 that was passed, 
then we need to work out the due process issues. And then we can start to do it. And, you know, the federal government has a role to play in this as well. And that federal government role is, of course, veterans. You know, President Obama said mm. 2016, no veterans will be on the street. But I think fundamentally, it's like what I was saying about rail. Fundamentally, the problem is we've got too many Josh made a reference to me cooking, right? You got too many chefs in the kitchen. Mm. <laughs> you've got you've got the state czar of homeless. You've got the uh, city czar of homelessness. Yeah. Basically, you got too many people. I think what we need is one person who's going to take responsibility. And you know, and I believe I I'll do it. I'll do it because I think that. But of course, the state and everyone else has to contribute yeah. the funds. But if you look at the structure of what a lot of programs that the city does do, it's all sort of a trickle down. It's from the federal government to the state, and the state sends the money to the city. And the city basically takes the lead on things like elder care. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. not the care, but providing for what they call a disability a resource center, which then has all the elder issues in it, and then and then goes out and, you know, funds various grants and aid uh, on that level. And I, I think that's what we need. I think the problem is we have too many people with too many jurisdictions and people have got to kind of give it up. You think the state because of mental health, you think the city because of the police, mm -hmm. because sheriffs can't sweep. So you got to have the police to do it for if you're going to sweep. But, you know, it's just too many different people trying to do the same thing and it costs more money that way. And we need to have a situation where one person stands up and says, all right, go do it. And, you know, this is what it's going to cost each of you for this to happen. And, you know, and, and tackle it. Now it's too easy. I think the fundamental problem with government is it's just too easy for us to point fingers mm. and to say, well, it's their problem. It's like heart, right? It's heart's problem, not the mayor's problem. It's heart's problem. But the bottom line is, hey, <laughs> It's the city's problem. It's everyone's problem. problem. Yes, it's everyone's problem. What about, uh, okay, here's my other question. As a resident of Honolulu, can you please fix the Department of Planning and Permitting? Oh, do you have a, do you have a long time to get into that? <laughs> it depends on how good you your know, plan is. Yeah, yeah. You know, look at look at it this way. There, there was an audit done in January of this year by the auditor, the city auditor. And I have read that with such great interest only because every idea that I could come up with that would uh, speed up, we actually have an appropriate rule to address that. And, you know, and I'm somebody who's been waiting for a permit for five years mm -hmm. myself. So, but having, having said that, you know, you, you hear things like automatic approval, right? That's in the rules. You hear things like third party review. That's in the rules. You, these expediters who I didn't know anything about, except a friend of mine said that in his uh, uh, cost of construction, there was a $5,000 line item and it was for an expediter. They said, you want to get your permit? You got to pay this. <laughs> and there's, there's quote, expediters mm. in there. And there's one, in the, the ordinance itself, there's something called OTR, one-time review. And there's also... In the rules, uh, the the fact that oh, and by the way, in the ordinance itself, you would never believe this. Do you know that as of 2013, everything is supposed to be electronic? Huh. 
So and not paper. Huh. So like, but, but it's all paper. What people is people are submitting by paper? Sounds, so, sounds like quite a few state offices. How do we fix that? Are you gonna just gonna clean house top to bottom, or is it a is it a resource issue? Is it just that they're asked to do too much with too little? No, I think it's structural. First of all, it's well. First of all, it's a leadership issue because let's face it, this form of DPP was uh, initiated with um, Jeremy Harris. So everybody, including Mufi, subsequent to that, have had this opportunity. Do you know that every mayor starts off, by, or every mayoral candidate says, you know, I'm going to attack the permitting problem. And when that mayor leaves office, guess what? You still have a permitting problem. Mm. So it tells you there's something systemically wrong in the process. So I also feel you should not have uh, a planner to head DPP. And that's the requirement. It's a planner. Mm. And the problem is when you think about this, it's because, you know, you think like zoning. We kind of know what's zoned and what's not zoned. So the, you shouldn't have a planner. Uh, to, I think that time has come and gone. You need someone who can lead and understand structurally what needs to be done. I think it's probably going to require a structural change to the like charter a lobbyist. Commission. We're going to have to do an amendment or a charter, not a, the commission is but a charter amendment in how we take DPP apart. Because think about this. Do you know that um, of the permits that are sought in a year, 75% are for one and two family dwellings? That is not surprising. 75%. And of that, this is going to be even more surprising to you. Ninety-three percent of that number is, is of all things, alterations, additions, and repairs. Oh. Not even new construction. Oh. That's seventy-five percent. Ninety-three percent of seventy-five percent. So you go to the commercial, what we would consider commercial, which is twenty-five percent. Ninety-six percent of those permits are additions, alterations, and repair. Sure. So. 4% are new buildings. So what's the problem, right? I mean, we know whether it's zoned properly. We know, I mean, you know, it's you're going to move a wall. It shouldn't take a, a permit for two months to move a wall. Sure. Even if you're going to put in another room in your home with uh, toilets, you know, uh, you don't need that. And, and you know, let me tell you, the one thing that I've always, uh, when I was litigating construction, litigation the one thing that i remember is that the city cannot be held responsible for giving a building permit in other words you can't sue the city for a wrong building permit wow so who takes the jerk your architects and engineers wow. stamp the plan huh. so on some of these just let it go with an architects and engineers they're reliable anyway just make sure they have eno coverage Okay. Yeah. And then we have a provision for that in the law and in the rules now anyway. So why? Everything I could come up with, and not that I'm the ultimate expert, but I mean, everything that I could come up with from my knowledge of what we've done in uh, in the state as well in the federal government, I, I couldn't, I mean, it was somehow addressed. Yeah. It may take a little tweaking here and there, but it's all there. The powers are there. So it comes down to the leadership, yeah. the execution, and it comes down implementation. To the yeah, yeah, getting it across the finish line. All right. Well, Colleen, uh, you know the funny thing is, <laughs> six months ago, when we first started uh, planning for our mayoral interviews, the issues that were facing Hawaii were things like, why does the Department of Planning and Permitting so slow? 
uh-huh. like, you know, are we going to make Honolulu a more bikeable city? What are we going to do about the minimum wage? Right. What are we going to do about climate change, sustainability? And all of those issues are still very important to life in Honolulu, but uh, COVID has completely sucked the air out of the room on everything. And so if you are elected mayor, uh, when you take office, according to the data, COVID will still be here and uh, Honolulu will seemingly be uh, still taking the brunt of that economic uh, fallout from it. So one of the last questions I want to ask is, uh, what's your what's your vision for a brighter Honolulu, COVID notwithstanding? You know, how are you how are you going to lead through COVID? What are what can the voters look forward to if Colleen Hanabusa is elected, even though they're still going to have to be living in a, a COVID induced hellscape of a world? You know, I, I tell people that the uh, the only way we are going to get through this is if we do it together. So. Public confidence and public trust has been at an all-time low. That's one of the reasons why I decided that I'm going to throw my name into the hopper, so to speak, because I believe that the only way we're going to survive this is you need somebody who you feel really understands what's going on and understands government. The first thing we all need to recognize is that government is not business. Mm. It isn't. Not that we can't learn from how business may be more effective, but can you imagine a business going into hawk uh, like $2.2 trillion, and by the time you get through the five CARES Act, you probably are at uh, almost $4 trillion, and then the House just passed the HEROES Act, which is another $3 trillion. It's not going to pass the Senate like that, but I mean, it's still a substantial amount of money because what we expect from government is in situations like this, that government will be there and government will utilize what it can to rebuild and make our lives better. And that comes back to exactly what, what you're asking. So the one thing that I really believe in is that for us to survive, we need to be in it together. And I, and I believe this, and I, and I don't know if you, you guys remember this from the governor's race, but I said, you know, the, the, the thing that I've come to recognize and it really bothers me is that those in, those who are running for office and those who have been in government, we tend to say the same things, which is that we're going to build more affordable housing, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. Mm. But you know what? You ever hear anybody say, but I'm going to ask you, you the millennial generation, how do you want to live? Because it's the Honolulu for you. So COVID actually affords us a unique opportunity to step back and to reanalyze the way we define government mm. and we define government's role and we define how government is going to be utilizing its resources. So to get out of this, I think Josh mentioned it earlier, the one thing that I have been looking at and reading uh, continually is what does the CARES Act say and where can we go with that and what can we anticipate and how can we use the funds? Because, you know, it's not only the CARES Act money that's come into the city. FDA has sent in money for the bus, for example, which mm-hmm. allows the use of the funding for personnel costs, which you don't see in the CARES Act. It also, we also have CDBG money, 
We also have CSBT money. We have all these different kinds of funds coming in. We have to step back and utilize all of that to help us get back on our feet and then plan, but use it wisely, and then plan for what is that Honolulu going to look like. So I believe that climate change and all the issues that are dear to us now has probably a greater opportunity to being addressed. And if we fail to do it, there's something wrong with us. Mm. So this is our time. On a, on a slightly more personal note, uh, this, this mm-hmm. is something uh, a few people have asked me about. And what, do you, what did you learn from your experience, your tough experiences in 2014 and 2018? Not just, not just what, you know, if you wish you had done something differently, but what did you learn going forward and how are you going to implement those lessons? Other than uh, people will and, overlook the incompetence of men to a stunning right. degree. And <laughs> other than the fact that like, you know, natural disaster, we can't control hurricanes, volcanoes, etc. Other than, you know, those all aside. And also uh, yeah. that somehow we voted for the guy who told us that there's a nuclear missile coming right for us. And we were just like, yeah, that's fine. Give him the job other again. Other than that. Other than all of that, huh? Yeah. That's that it. That's the bottom line is it is it is the will of the people and that uh, you know whether um, whatever reason whether this is a society that prefers uh, men (laughs) (laughs) or or whether or not we are uh, you know uh, whether we didn't get the message across or not that it is the will of the people is that it is the people's choice sure you know people decide and whether it's because, you know, it didn't do nice enough commercials or, or whether there were a lot of negative undertones that people were doing uh, in terms that, that uh, we weren't paying attention to or we couldn't stop, whatever the reason is, you know, it's, that's already passed. But in this upcoming election, I find that I find myself more engaged and, and listening and really listening to what people have to say. And, and, you know, the bottom line for any campaign to be successful is you have got to realize that campaigns are a function of the people who are invested in you. And that's what it comes down to. You know, someone told me, I remember after the 2014 election, this woman stopped me and said, you know, I know you as a fighter. So why aren't you fighting? You know, 1,700 votes is, and under these circumstances uh, is too small a margin. And, you know, you should be demanding a recount. You should do all of this. And I told her, I said, you know, it, this, is, this is no longer about me. It's, 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 about, it's about people who supported me. Because I said, I, I see it in them and I hear it in them. What if we sign wait for another you know, two days this week, or what if we did this? Or what if we... And I said, you know, it, I said, it tears at me because it's like they get nothing from this yeah. mm-hmm. except they, they believe in you. They, and, and that's something you can't buy and that's something that you can't pay for. Mm. So that's why I think that the, the fundamental thing that, that I take away from all of it is not to forget who is investing in you mm. and they are investing in you and also the cost with which they do that because then you will always cherish every moment and recognize that every decision is one that you need to uh, to be very thankful for the, just the opportunity to run 
and the opportunity to be there. And I think that's what a lot of people just miss is that they miss the fact that it is, it is, it is the people and, and they're the ones who really matter in all of this. And if you're fortunate enough that they feel an investment in you, then you're very lucky. Uh, and another one on a similar note, you know, to the people who invest in you, uh, people have asked me to ha- asked us to ask, and just to make sure, if you get elected mayor, you're 2022, nothing's happening, right? Staying in mayor, staying nope. in mayor. Nope. Got it. Nope. Okay. This is it. Guys, this had is to, it. Just officially, <laughs> nope. people nope. have asked us to get that on the record, and that is our only like journalistic obligation of the night. <laughs> <laughs> nope. And I appreciate the opportunity to tell people. No, that's that's it. And you know, it's it's uh, it really is a, a matter of. Uh, I understand how people uh, are raising that, but you know, when you, when you really think about it. It really is an opportunity to be a part of uh, the the a, a time now when people need good leadership and people need somebody who understands government. And I think that it is not the time for people to, uh, as I say, and it started before COVID. And I said, you know, this is not the time because of the the, the failure of of uh, public confidence at that time mm. is not when we have training wheels to do what we need to do. We need to have somebody who understands the government and then who can hit the ground running. I really do believe that. And that's, and that's where we're at and that's where we need to be. Uh, well, Colleen, uh, my last question, I think our last question of the night what is uh, one book that we should be reading right now that we are not? One thing you'd recommend us to read? You know, it's a, um, it's a it's a book that I read, and it's not a new book, but I think it brings into perspective. And this is shifting gears to the national level. Sure. Uh, it's it's a book that was edited by um, uh, uh, Mattis. Okay. So when he was at the uh, Hoover Institute, and I think if I remember the title correctly, it was called "The Warrior and the Citizen." Okay. And I think that okay. what it does is that, and, and I, I may get it as a citizen and the warrior. <laughs> I, I think what the reason why it's it's a book that I would recommend in these times is because it puts into perspective why why government or why the federal government felt so strongly uh, when it was well when the founding fathers were creating us why they felt so strongly that you needed to have citizens in control and you know uh, I read that when General Mattis uh, and I don't know if you remember this but when General Mattis was up to be the Secretary of Defense we needed to pass like a special law. Yeah, that's right, a waiver. Because there is a law. Remember? Yeah, I think yeah. Josh, you must remember this. Remember, there was a there's a law that says that you needed to be out of military mm-hmm. service before you could be in any of those secretarial positions for seven years. And I think General Mattis was out for five or something like that. And I, I, I and what and then I I used to when people would uh, hammer me about. Uh, you know, all these um, military types who were part of the cabinet. I I remember saying, you know, we're going to look back at this and we're going to hope that they're there because they are are the adults in the room. 
And there the and Mattis in particular was somebody who I thought uh, Trump would not uh, fool around with. He was he was somebody who had the respect and and he was also somebody. A friend of mine told me the 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 issue with General Mattis is going to be how long he stays, not anything else, mm. because he's only going to take so much of this, and <laughs> we're going to see what happens. Yeah. And I think I think that what if you can read that book. Um, it will tell you, and I apologize if I don't have the title, the title in my mind. The title is, that, uh, I, I, I just found it. The title is Warriors and Citizens, American Views right. of Our Military. Yeah. And, and the reason it's so important is because, it, as you know, in this time of COVID, and, and, and it's for Hawaii, for example, the COVID issue, uh, one of the stabilizing economic forces that we have is, of course, the military going on now. But having said that, it is also just the structure of government. And I think that's what we need to step back and look at, because we need to recognize why we are formed the way we are. And like I said, it's not necessarily a city or anything like that, but I've always, that's so critical to me, that we appreciate what what those founding fathers had actually put to to task when they came up with our constitution and and how we go forward and and what our obligations are as a people as citizens uh, and and just you know whether you're a resident alien but just being able to be in the United States and what does that mean and that's why I've I've uh, I've been thinking about that book. A lot recently. It's on my Kindle. <laughs> I don't know if people still use Kindles, but it's I, in my Kindle. I use mine every night. And, uh, great. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, 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 it's a thought. And then I, I really wish people would uh, stop and contemplate the, what, it, what it all meant. Okay, so if people like what they've heard today, Colleen, uh, where can they go to get involved? Um, how can they learn more? That whole thing. We have a, a, a site info to, uh, uh, at uh, info at cleanhanabusa.com, and you can that's one word cleanhanabusa.com, and that's it. And and uh, you know I I would uh, and and of course you could always Google us and find us, but I really would uh, uh, appreciate it, and I would appreciate any feedback that uh, people may have from this. And 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 as Josh will tell you. I'm not one to shy away from from discussion. Not at all. Uh, not at all. Good discussion, and and you know, and and I'm also not one to 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 think that uh, uh, we would um, we have all the answers. And I will tell you, one of the things that we do have is we do have a roadmap for uh, our our Honolulu. And the reason why I don't tout it as a plan like others tout it, and I think ours came out before many of theirs came out. And the reason I don't tout it is because I view it as an interactive piece, mm. not not the final word. I view it as something that that I I want us to work together at at forming and and getting to where we need to go. And I don't ever see us as as it being completed, because I can't see it ever being completed simply because the challenges that we are going to face as a as a city. Uh, are going to be so great that we need to continually work on it, massage it, as we say, and come up with a, a, a plan that's uh, 
conducive to whenever and whatever the issue may be. Ladies and gentlemen, that's Colleen Hanabusa. Damn, you you say it, Josh. Ladies and ladies and gentlemen, Colleen Hanabusa. Thank you so much, Colleen. Take care. Thank Best of luck both. out there on the virtual trail. Great talking to you. Okay, okay. it was a pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Aloha. Wife, 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 wife.